Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. It is crazy that we are already six months through 2023, and already 2023 promises to be bigger and better than 2022, which is a record year for us. And I just want to thank all of our participants, our supporters, our fans, everyone who is helping us to make it so very special. Most of our races, our world major races, have been filled except for Berlin. So if you're looking to run the Berlin Marathon in the fall, we still have some spots available. We also have spots in our Detroit Marathon, uh, which is a wonderful race and half marathon that they offer that day. We also have some marathon spots in our Twin Cities Marathon, along with the Chicago Half Marathon, which happens in the fall, as well as the newly added South Norwalk Half Marathon and 5K. We also have our Horner Hustle 5K in Chicago coming up in August, along with our new event, our Urban Repelling Over the Edge happening in Hartford, Connecticut in mid-September, along with our virtual event series. So if you can't make it to any of our physical events, we've got you covered with our virtual events. Um, Dino's Double just happened here in June, and we've got our Work Harder event coming up in August. So to learn all about all these races, all of our events, and our virtual stuff, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media wherever you are on social media because we're everywhere on social. We're even on TikTok now, uh, YouTube as well to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our guest today coming to us all the way from Edmonton, Canada, Jenny Guitard. Jenny, welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks, Dino. I really appreciate you having me today on as a guest, and I look forward to speaking with you. Well, the pleasure is all mine. couple uh, stories here before we get to your background, and I hand it over to you. I was saying before we hit record, we've got some staff helping us. We've got some interns this summer helping us, and just the the irony of, of connections, right? And so I believe I reached out to you simultaneously, probably within a couple hours that someone on <laughs> staff reached out to you from the Project Purple Instagram account. And it was funny because I've, now I remember the whole conversation via Instagram. Like, I think you were messaging back with that person and I had seen your story come up in my feed and I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Your background, which we're going to get into, your age, everything that was going on. And I'm like, wow, like your post that you put out that, you know, you're, you're going through this journey with pancreatic cancer. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't reach out before. And then I was like taken back when I was like, wow, the staff did at the same time. So, you know, the stars aligned, you know, for us to connect via social media. And I've always said here on the podcast, you know, social media, you know, I always try to look at the positives and everything and, and social media in particular. I mean, it can be a very dark and, and disturbing place, but I've connected with so many people from the pancreatic cancer world in a positive way from social media. So that's the one thing that I take away from the positives of social. Uh, but it was just such a, a fascinating irony that you know our staff had reached out to you as, as well as I had at the same time. And I think I walked back to the, the staff area and I was like, hey, who reached out to Jenny? And someone raised their hand. I was like, what are the odds, right? Like it was within like a couple hours or so, like it was just so funny. Yeah, the timing was impeccable. And at first I was a little bit confused, but I said, oh, I think they don't realize that they're both messaging me. So I thought, yeah. okay, this is, this is definitely meant to be used, divine yeah, uh, div in, intervention yeah. that uh, both of you guys were 
had come yeah. about come about my vlog just randomly. So that's pretty yeah, cool. So and awesome. I have to ag- agree that, you know, Instagram, um, although there can be some negatives to it, I've found like so many positives that I didn't anticipate. So so awesome. And for those that are listening to this, we are recording this. And so for our YouTube audience, you, I said, when you came on, I said, you look awesome. You look amazing. You look very tropical, like <laughs> you should be on a beach somewhere. And, you know, we're, we were catching up geographically and, and you live in an amazing area. I know it, it, the winters are hard. I mean, they're a little bit harder than, than we see here, um, very in the cold. Northeast, very cold, very cold. <laughs> but the summers are beautiful and, and it is summertime and, and it is a beautiful part of the, the world, really. Um, that part of Canada, that Western part of Canada is just absolutely magnificent. Yeah, I have the best of both worlds in the prairies as well as mountains within skiing, hiking, all the things within a three-hour radius. So we're pretty lucky. It's awesome. It's awesome. Well, here is uh, the first segment as we were talking before hit record um, is really our guest opportunity here on our podcast to kind of share their journey and a little bit about themselves with our audience. Most of our audience probably won't know your backstory. Um, you know, I'm sure your friends and family will know. And if someone's already following you on social media, then they'll know a bit. Uh, but this is really our guest opportunity to kind of share their backstory, their journey, and what brings them here to the podcast today. And as I said, before we hit record, you can say as high level as you want, or you can go into the weeds. And with that, Jenny, the microphone is yours. Perfect. Thanks so much, Dino. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I just am super honored to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, I think it's super important. And I had, um, started a vlog on Instagram when I was first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in February, um, February 8th, actually of 2023. And initially it was more as a verbal diary for myself as I was pretty sick in February. I was on high levels of medication and, um, needed to just, I felt like I needed to keep track of things. And so I wasn't really sure what it would turn into. And um, it's really become something that I never really anticipated. Um, I've been able to connect with other young patients that are similar age group to me, which I'll chat about. Um, I found I found your organization, which, you know, normally I may not, never have um, been connected with you. So uh, my vlog has kind of taken off on on its own on on its own journey, and just the feedback I've gotten, I've been able to help. Um, whether or not it's new patients starting treatment, just to ease some of their fears, to educate them, and I'll explain. I've got a little bit of a unique background. So, um, as I mentioned, my name is Jenny Guitard. I am 46 years old. I live with my partner Alex here in Edmonton, and we have a little seven-year-old Westie dog that keeps us busy. Um, ironically, I just adopted her about six weeks ago. So I think someone dropped her into my lap when I needed her the most. So it's been, it's been a fun time in our household getting to know her and, and, uh, she's been by my side nonstop. So, um, I am the oldest of five kids and 26 cousins on my mom's side. So a really large wow. family. Yeah. I've kind of always, I think been kind of in a leader role and I'll sort of explain that more. Um, the unique piece of my story is that I'm actually a registered nurse and an oncology nurse, um, specifically hematology, which is blood disorders. So early in my career, I looked after patients with mostly leukemia. And then I moved um, to in one of our larger center hospitals. And then I moved to our cancer center in Edmonton, which is the Cross Cancer Institute. And that was in 2006. And I've been there ever since. So um 
I worked 16 years in their systemic therapy unit and was one of the charge nurses and a major leader and um, held various positions, um, management type positions, as well as leadership going through COVID, things like that. And recently in July of 2021, I moved over to the outpatient department, which is where patients are assessed prior to chemotherapy. We also have a nurse dedicated telephone triage line. So patients will call in and I would help them with symptom management with side effects to either their chemotherapy or radiation, which I absolutely love the telephone and then helping people. Um, it's a way to help keep them out of emergency department as well. We can mitigate some of those um, uh, side effects up front and before they get worse. And so it's a really valuable service that we have um, at our institute. And I think in a lot of cancer centers within Canada, I'm not sure if it's the same in the U.S. Um, obviously, we have a public health care system, so things can differ. But um, yeah, so I've been in that, that role and mostly hematology, so blood disorders. And ironically, I had one clinic, which was um, GI or gastrointestinal and saw patients like myself with metastatic col colorectal and pancreatic um, cancer. So um, I came into my diagnosis knowing things. Sometimes that's a that can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, I guess I should take it back um, in terms of uh, my diagnosis and how everything kind of came about. Previously, I was fairly healthy. Um, I have a health a side health and wellness business and have been a major proponent of gut health for the last five years. So I was using probiotics, um, other, other supplements, things like that, eating very clean. I... Um, did not consume a large amount of alcohol. And so my diagnosis was really quite shocking because I had no pre-existing factors at all. Um, as I mentioned, I'm 46 years old. I'm not obese. I'm not a diabetic. I'm not an alcoholic. I have no known family history that we're aware of. Um, still waiting on some genetic information to come back. I had to have a repeat biopsy, which I'll chat about. So we're Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll have those results, um, which could indicate something that we were unaware of. But as far as I know, there's no family history. And so um, obviously my diagnosis was quite shocking, considering that I didn't tick off any of the boxes. And I was a younger age in the grand scheme of things. Technically, pancreatic cancer can be seen as an older, older mm -hmm. cancer. So I, you know, in terms of the statistics, I didn't fit any of those boxes. Um, so it was probably back in July of 2022, I'd been traveling and maybe not adhering to the clean diet that I usually follow. So my stomach was a little off. I had a little bit of what I thought was indigestion and I was like, oh, I think I need to, you know, get some Tums or something. So there was about four or five occasions that that happened and it went away. And then in September of 2022, um, towards the end of the month, I came home from work and felt really unwell, just like super fast. It hit me flu-like symptoms, um, immediately went to bed for the weekend. I had chills. I thought I had COVID. I tested multiple times because my symptoms were kind of um, similar along that line. Um, we were still having active cases in the hospital despite mm -hmm you know, me taking all the precautions and still masking and, and gowning um, when necessary. But um, I had no exposures that I was aware of, but still wanted to make sure. 
Um, but the one piece was that I was having radiating pain into my left lower shoulder. That was something sort of often new and it was pretty sharp. And, um, I have to admit, sometimes nurses are the worst patients, um, you know, ticking off all the boxes in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm not having heart palpitations. I don't think it's my heart. Um, in retrospect, you know, part of myself, I've had to kind of forgive myself, you know, should I have gone to emergency at that time? Um, and I'll explain a little more that probably it wouldn't have made a difference because they probably wouldn't have done the investigations that I needed anyways with an isolated incidence of just one-time pain. Um, but it really was mimicking a really bad, severe indigestion and with this sharp pain going to the left side. And after about five days, um, the symptoms went away on their own. And But I still was having some discomfort. So I said, I better book an appointment with my family doctor. So I did. Um, I didn't see my specific family doctor. I saw a locum physician, but she was an eMERGE physician. So she did the entire workup. And so I had blood work, which came back normal. I had um, a chest x-ray, which is normal, a heart tracing. So an ECG, which was normal. And she also ordered an abdominal ultrasound. And that came back normal. Um, that took a little while. I had to wait for that, but within a couple of weeks. So we kind of ticked off all the diagnoses and she felt that I probably had some acid reflux and some heartburn. Um, you know, as we age, sometimes that can change. So she started me on a medication called pantoprazole or pantaloc, which is quite common for as an acid reducer. And so I started that on once a day and it was helpful, but still, you know, certain foods would, would irritate me if I did eat something that was a little bit fattier or heavier. Um, so in talking to her, she decided to order it twice a day. So I went up to twice a day, probably, um, mid October. So my symptoms were fairly stable. Um, but then I got sick again in November with a really bad sinus infection. And, um, I guess at that time I should have realized, you know, something was off. Obviously my immune system wasn't working like it. I, I hadn't been sick like that, um, in quite some time, like, twice within a couple months. So that was one of the signs that something was off. So again, I went back to my family doctor after um, a course of antibiotics and let her know that, you know, things were still, I was still having this pain kind of radiating to the left lower um, part of my shoulder um, despite being on the medication. So she decided to order a small bowel follow through, which basically you drink a chalk medication and um, they have a camera go down to, to watch, you know, the process. And, and that came back showing some acid reflux. So in line with what we thought. And um, she decided at that time, at the end of November, to switch medications to something called Dexalent, which is supposed to be a stronger acid reducer. And so I was on that. But within a couple of weeks, the pain was getting worse. And I was like, I think this medication, even though it's meant to be more effective, it just isn't working for me. And told her that I wanted to go back to the pantoprazole that previously had been, you know, keeping things fairly stable. Um, so as December went on, I, you know, noticed some discomfort. I had no other signs of pancreatic cancer. I wasn't jaundiced. I didn't have ch any changes in my stool that I noticed. I wasn't losing any weight. My appetite was still good. But I was always kind of scared to eat because I knew then that the pain would sort of happen after eating. Um, 
probably a couple weeks later towards Christmas time, then maybe I noticed maybe a little bit of decrease in my appetite. Hmm. Um, after Christmas holidays, we then went on a little holiday to Palm Springs and I golfed the entire time, like five times I walked, I was active, had great energy and really didn't have um, any issues with symptoms at all until we flew home. And within the 24 hours, my stomach, my abdomen was so bloated. Um, I wasn't sure if it was the altitude change or exactly what had happened, but I knew there was a problem. So for the next couple of weeks, I really struggled at work. Um, I would have a protein shake in the morning and be okay. And then I would have lunch. And then when I would go to my afternoon clinics, um, I just had this nagging, you know, pain radiating into my shoulder and it would be just kind of there. And then it would get sharper as the, as the evening went on. And then as January progressed, the first couple of weeks, I started to have a tight band across my chest. And that was kind of one of the signs that really was um, concerning to me. I had been going for massages because I was having back spasms. And normally, you know, I treat myself, I'm a nurse, I work hard, I have an active job, can do heavy lifting. So I treat myself every four to six weeks, but it wasn't doing what it normally did. So I opted to see, um, to actually try some acupuncture to a Chinese herbalist. And right away, he said, Jenny, I'm concerned about your pancreas. And interestingly enough, he was the only health provider that actually did a physical exam on me in, in that time frame from September. And um, I told him, I said, well, my, my liver enzymes, my lipase, my bilirubin, all my blood work is normal. And that's what I'm being told by healthcare providers. But I agree with you, this tight band that I'm starting to get now, and it's getting worse daily is very concerning. Um, so ironically, um, things progressed and I worked along almost 12 hour a day on January 18th. That night I was having pain worse at night and, and, you know, in all my research and just from knowing, I knew that that was potentially an issue and it was always after eating. Um, so I was up all night. I, I did not want to go to the emergency department as a nurse. Um, we do have the public health care system here in Canada and there's a lot of great things about our system, but um, unfortunately, since COVID, the state of our emergency departments have been have become quite messy. Um, people are retiring, moving to other departments. Um, we have a lot of physicians that are leaving Alberta and moving to provinces like British Columbia. Um, so you know that your wait times are going to be eight to ten hours just to mm. even see a doctor. And um, I'm not saying that I did the right thing, but I was putting it off because I knew what going to the emergency department would entail. And uh, but that night I just said, OK, enough is enough. I need to walk the walk and talk the talk and do what I tell my patients to do. And I uh, woke up my partner and said, I, I need you to take me to the emergency department. This has gone on too long. There's something really wrong here. So that was January 19th. And as I predicted, it was a long uh, six hour wait just to see a physician. Uh, they ordered blood work for me. Um, he did an assessment. At that time, I had already contacted a gastrointestinal specialist because other providers were telling me that I had more signs of um, irritable bowel syndrome, so IBS. And they felt that I needed to have a gastros gastroscopy or a scope. 
Mm-hmm. So I had contacted um, a colleague who agreed that I needed more imaging and was happy to see me, but I didn't have a date for when that scope was going to be. And so I had let the emerged physician know that this was in the works, but didn't have a specific timeline and really felt that something was really wrong. Here I was a health professional telling him this. Um, we reviewed my blood work again. It was normal uh, with my age being 46 it kind of, I feel, skewed the physician into moved him into a certain direction in terms of diagnosis. Um, he was very frank with me and said, you know, you don't have a GI bleed. You're not actively bleeding. So you're not going to get a scope out of the emergency department. I said, I understand that. I, I, I'm well aware that that's the only time that you would have that within um, if you were actively bleeding. And because I had already had a consult in the works, he felt that Uh, my symptoms were more mucosal absorption and that Mm -hmm. I needed to wait for my consult. So ultimately I was sent home with four pain tablet medications and told to wait for my um, specialist appointment, which I didn't know when that was going to happen. So needless to say, it was um, very disappointing, but it ended up going kind of the way that I anticipated. Okay. So I just want to jump in here for a second on this note. So you're in the business. This is not the, I, I mean, for our listeners here in the U S like you, you hear what you're saying and you're like, Whoa, like, you know, I know the, the, the systems are completely different, but that's kind of crazy, Jenny. To just, yeah, be it like, was... I, mean, I mean, that happens here. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, 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 there's, I know there's, there's incidents where, I think people go to the, a certain system here in the United States and then they're kind of like, I call like, it's kind of like past the buck almost is I guess the terminology I would use, right? Like this doctor was like, okay, here's, there's nothing we really can do. You have a follow-up, don't know when the follow-up is and here's pain meds, like be on your way. But, and, and that does happen here. Um, and, you know, people sometimes have to, you know, they don't get the answers. They don't get an answer to their questions, right? And like one hospital will say, well, it's your gallbladder take these meds and nothing changes. Right. And then they go down this, this vicious cycle of, you know, jumping from system to system to system until eventually they get a diagnosis that is the right diagnosis that sometimes can take months, maybe even a year. Your situation is a little bit different where you just can't get access to the proper, but you're in the system yourself. So I got to ask the question, like, do you just say, okay, and go, or do you like give a fight and go, no, 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 let, let's, cause you know, like, and I, th- th- this is the complexity of your story is, you know what you know. So you know more than 99% of the people that walk in through that door, what that process is. But how do you take that for an answer though? I guess is my question in this. And I guess I didn't. Um, I immediately called my family doctor's office and with, was it within three days was in her office. She physically examined me. I said, I need a CAT scan. I had yeah. begged the eMERGE physician to and at least do, do an ultrasound or a CAT scan. I told him that I had had one in October and it was normal, but that something was really wrong. And, you know, I'm not here to slag, slag anyone or to slag our system. Um, we have something called patient relations, and it's still something that I need to do just as a not to get anyone in trouble per se, um, but as a learning opportunity so that hopefully um, there isn't the next me that you know, regardless, it doesn't have to be a healthcare professional, but especially if you have someone 
that is a healthcare professional that's telling you that there's something really wrong here. There's been a significant change um, that hopefully they would be listened to and that those investigations would happen in a timely manner. Um, so I obviously wasn't going to let it go and, and thank goodness I didn't. Um, when I've talked to other providers, um, whether or not it's my oncologist now or a pain and symptom, they could see how I was pushing things along over mm-hmm. the four month period. And really it, it was me. And, and I, I do have to worry about people that don't have that background knowledge. And that's often why, um, especially like in pancreatic, that people are diagnosed late. Um, a yeah. pancreatic cancer mimics many other different diseases. Um, it doesn't always show up on imaging. As per my case, the ultrasound was normal. Not that that's the best imaging for. Yeah. Uh, but I've talked to multiple people that have had multiple CAT scans, and it wasn't until the fourth scan that something showed up. So it's 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 tricky. The disease itself is tricky. Um, but I I definitely knew that something wasn't right. I'm really quite in tune with my body, especially in the last five years. I had really focused on gut health, like I said. So even if I ate something that I knew wasn't going to serve me right, I I would immediately feel it. So I really had that um, inner inner connection, and um, she she listened to me when I finally saw her, and the CAT scan was ordered. Now again, that was an eight week waiting. Um, within our system, um, unless I was going to pay out of pocket, um, which I was contemplating. But because I know the system, I then phoned the booking clerk and put myself on a waiting (laughs) list for a cancellation list, which a lot of people don't know. And um, so I did get moved up to a time in February. um, And then ironically, I um, got moved up to February 1st. Thank goodness. I would have ended up in emergency 10 times over because my pain became that much more severe and I, and I really decompensated quickly. So ironically, I had my scope um, with the gastrointestinal on January 31st. And to my surprise, when I woke up, he said, Jenny, your stomach is pristine. There's nothing wrong with it. And I said, what do you mean? (laughs) I thought you were going to, I thought, I thought you were going to tell me I have an ulcer. Yeah. He's like, Nope. Um, I had had a hysterectomy in 2021 And he thought potentially I had some adhesions from that that could require surgical intervention and they can cause pain and could be um, describing just where it was, you know, in that left sort of lower shoulder blade area within the stomach. Um, He thought that could have been one of the reasons. But he did say to me with some pretty sad eyes, when is your CAT scan? And so when I found out it was the next day, he was relieved uh, to say the least. And um, so ironically, I went for my scan that day. And um, I did have CT contrast. So it's a dye that Mm -hmm. they put in intravenously. And at that time, immediately within seconds of them putting it in, I had pain in that spot. And I thought, Oh, my goodness, I think I'm lighting up like I think Mm -hmm. there's something really wrong here around my stomach. And you know, even being a nurse, I didn't really realize the anatomy of the pancreas and how it tucks behind and that it was so far over to the left in that region. So even for me, that was a big eye opener once my diagnosis came about. Um, And uh, ironically, I went about my day, even though I was concerned. And I missed a a blocked call at 9pm at night. 
And uh, normally I wouldn't have listened to the voicemail, but something in me said, listen to your messages. And it happened to be my family doctor. And she said, I, I didn't hear her say that she'd had the CAT scan results, but I had been off work. So I thought she was just checking in on me to uh, renew my time off until we could come up with what was happening. And she said she'd call me back in half an hour, which she did. And ultimately, that's sort of when my world fell apart. Um, all I remember hearing is, Jenny, you have two lesions on your pancreas. And uh, insert the hyperventilation and the sobbing tears and my poor partner having to eavesdrop or listen to the conversation, knowing that something was really wrong. So rookie mistake. I thought she was just calling for a social call, but no, that wasn't mm -hmm. the case. And so February 1st was the day that I knew that likely uh, my world was going to be turned upside down. So at that moment, what goes through your mind? Did you feel I... relief that you know what's been going on? Because like to hear your story, your backstory here to the point where you get diagnosed, I mean, this is a long time of dealing with like this agonizing pain. And I, I've got to imagine you're in the business of curing, helping people be cured of a disease, this, these cancers, right? So being sick, like that's gotta be, I gotta, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here, Jenny, but like, that's gotta be really frustrating because A, you're in the system, B, the work you do, that takes a certain type of person, certain type of personality that you're, you're wanting to help people but then you yourself, you can't find help yourself. And you mentioned like you were into health and gut health and staying healthy. So it wasn't like you were out binging and drinking and partying and living this like vicarious lifestyle and doing all these things that you're not supposed to be doing. You're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing so that you are healthy, but you can't doing it figure right. out. <laughs> Correct, right? Like that's what they tell, like that's what we're told to do, right? And I guess that's what the, the data suggests. But like for a long time, so for like, you know, five months, you had no idea what the hell was going on. And now you have this answer, but it's this pancreatic cancer. I think I was in shock. Um, I My immediate response was because she listed off all the things she said she'd called mm. rapid, which is um, sort of our high level physicians can provide other, you know, GPs with support in terms of coordinating care. So she had called rapid, she'd gotten a surgeon consult, she had organized for a PET scan, and was looking at talking to my gastrointestinologist about getting a biopsy an urgent biopsy. So all these words, my initial thought are, these are words that my patients go through or what I read about them out of mm. the new patient office. This can't be about me. So there definitely was a real level of denial, even though I had been trying to find answers. Um, even when she told me, I, I, I was like, this isn't about me. It, I felt like it was about somebody else. And uh, that took a long, long time to sink in. And even now I still find it hard to believe that this is my story. I still shake my head and think like how how am I in this nightmare right now um this this can't be we can't be talking about me and um I think I immediately just thought of my patients and, and these are the words that I hear when when they're diagnosed and um a couple of days later I spoke with one of my 
best friends who's an oncologist, a colleague, and there still wasn't a definitive diagnosis. So here I was a hematology nurse with blood disorders, hoping that I had a rare kind of lymphoma versus pancreatic cancer because I still didn't have the pathology back from the biopsy. So despite five months of, you know, vague indigestion, acid reflux symptoms that kind of went up and down. Um, once I got everybody's attention, I had everybody's attention. <laughs> so it went from slow feeling like nobody was listening to overload. Everybody. All of a sudden I had eight doctors. And so on February 3rd, so two days later, I was being sedated and had the endoscopic ultra ultrasound um, biopsy of the two lesions. And then February 8th, got the final diagnosis that no, it wasn't a lymphoma or an endocrine pancreatic tumor that I had adenocarcinoma of the pancreas and that I had two lesions that were four to five centimeters um, in the tail, um, which is interesting because a lot of patients that the majority of patients that I speak to their disease is actually at the head of the pancreas. And so they'll often present with that jaundice. So yellowing of the skin that I talked mm -hmm. about, they'll have abnormal blood work. Um, they'll have weight loss maybe sooner trouble with fatty foods. So sometimes those patients can actually get diagnosed sooner because they're having more symptoms versus myself. My blood work kept coming back normal. I hadn't lost, I didn't lose weight until February. It was very, once it happened, it was very fast. I lost 30 pounds and was quite decompensated. Um, but it's interesting how the two different, um, portions of the pancreas can present differently and the prognosis is different. Um, unfortunately, despite what we thought catching it early, I still presented as stage four. Um, I had the PET scan and there was a concerning, um, concerning issue with my T5. So my back as well as the vertebrae there, the soft tissue, uh, which the, then led me to have an MRI and unfortunately, the MRI did confirm that I had a soft tissue metastases and it was starting to invade the vertebrae, the bone. So, um, ouch, that really explained why I was having such severe pain. Um, ironically, again, I have to be different. Pancreatic cancer doesn't normally go to soft tissue or to bone. So my oncologist and my radiation oncologist were quite surprised to find to have this finding. Um, I also had enlarged lymph nodes or do have enlarged lymph nodes in my abdomen. Um, so for me in February, pain control was the, the most important and the trickiest thing. So right away, the new patient office at the Cross Cancer Institute, they set me up with, we have a pain and symptom consult team and they've been super valuable in um, helping me along the way and are still following me to this time. And have really helped me to get my performance status back up because I really did deteriorate for a good six to eight weeks before my chemotherapy started. So after they determined that I did have that metastases at the T5, I had a radiation oncologist consult and was rushed to have five radiation treatments. The radiation itself was fairly uneventful. The procedure is uh, 10 to 15 minutes, um, painless. Um, but I really suffered with flare pain after um, it's kind of like rebound pain and um, definitely huge respect for it. I'd heard patients talk about it, but had no idea how, 
severe it could be and uh, really suffered. So I was lucky that I was not hospitalized. And I think only because I was a registered nurse and could manage my complex medication schedule, I was probably on about 15 different medications, as well as pain medication, morphine every four hours with breakthrough. Um, I was lucky that I was not hospitalized at that time. So you do the radiation, um, that's to knock out the stuff that's on the, the T5 on the spine. Um, and then do you eventually start chemotherapy? And I would imagine, uh, aggressive chemotherapy given the situation and your age. Exactly. Yeah. So with my case, it was kind of the cart before the horse. So I didn't actually have my oncology consult until, um, March March 2nd. So it was, you know, four weeks after four, almost five weeks after the fact, even though I had been in touch with my oncologist, because ironically, I'm an RN that was working at the facility where I'm receiving treatments and my chemotherapy. So with that, like I said, that brings some unique, unique perspective, unique challenges. I was unfortunately forced when you're first told a diagnosis, obviously you need some time to absorb And a lot of people will internalize and it wasn't something that I wanted to share with the world. But unfortunately, my name and my file was going to come across my colleague's desk. And so within the first week of finding out, I was forced to to tell people and um, I figured I needed to do it on my terms. It was really important to me to have in a time where I had no felt like no control. I needed to have some control of something. And so um, with the advice of my, my boss, as well as my physician, I sent out an email to my colleagues, just letting them know about my diagnosis and that they would be, you know, seeing me in the halls in a different capacity. And at this time that, you know, I needed my privacy to be respected. Um, I had an amazing family physician and she really helped me hone in what that meant, like what she said to me, she said to me, Jenny, what does respect your privacy mean? It can mean different things to different people. And I said, yeah, you know, you're really, you are right. And at that time, I didn't want to talk about cancer if I didn't bring it up. Um, I welcomed hugs and positive vibes. And so I was very specific in my email. And so that basically went out to my colleagues in the outpatient department, the chemo area, as well as all the physicians. And so that was a little piece that, you know, I didn't, wasn't ready for people to know, but at least I said some control out of how people were going to find out and how, you know, I didn't want the, Oh, what are you doing here? And of course I knew it wasn't going to mitigate all that, but um, when you're going through something really stressful, I at least needed to try to lessen those instances. And so I ended up, I did have a surgeon consult, which was virtual. Um, I think we, with COVID and I'm assuming it's similar in the U S we went to a lot of virtual visits Mm -hmm. I wasn't super happy that that happened. I felt like I deserved to meet <laughs> the surgeon in person, but I took what um, I could could get at that point. And, and at the time, because of the stage four diagnosis, it was basically told to me that I was not a surgical candidate, which was obviously very, very disappointing. And um, there was a lot of tears after that, that consult. Um, I was told that, you know, we were going to be aggressive with chemotherapy and sort of treat it like a neoadjuvant, so a pre-surgical mm-hmm. approach, um, despite the fact that I had 
distant disease just because of my age. And so I'm still hoping that we will be sending my scans to the surgeon. Um, and potentially I'll be looking at second and third opinions depending on um, what's reported back. But um, I just had my CT scan yesterday actually. So we're at the point now where we may be looking at that. So uh, the following day I did have my initial consult with the oncologist and the plan was to start Fulfirinox protocol, which is an intense three drug protocol, um, usually used for younger patients. Um, people with high performance status. So that are still able, you know, walking, talking, not bedridden. Um, Older patients would probably receive a drugs called a Braxane and Gemcitabine. So Mm -hmm. weekly protocol um, with one week off. And so it was determined that we would go with Fulfirinox for myself. And obviously I had been one of the chemotherapy nurses for over 16 years, a charge nurse. I knew how intense the protocol was and I'd be lying if I said, if I didn't say I was leery and a little bit hesitant about some of the side effects of the, of the chemotherapy. And so I had to wrap my brain around that. Um, I also had to wrap my brain around the fact that I was going to be a patient in the unit that I had led for so many years. So there were a lot of intricate pieces that a lot of other patients don't have to deal with. And uh, so I struggled with that. And it's still a still an ongoing process to, as you go, you learn. And every day I get a little bit more comfortable being there as a patient, in a patient role versus a nurse role. I got to say something here, Michelle. Um, I want to say the proper term, but then I don't want to offend anyone. That's like a mental mind, like... <laughs> I can't imagine. So like, that's like, okay. So everyone listening, like the the place where you go to work, you're not going to go to work, but you're going to go and you're going to go receive, you're going to be the patient. Right. But like, if you're like, you're going to be the customer. So just think about it. The place where you work, where you're in, if you're in the service industry or anything, but now you come in and you're the customer and now relate that to a medical setting to your point, like that's gotta be like, so that's like mental gymnastics. Like, so it, what's, it's, the, it's been very challenging, very challenging. And you so, know, one day, one day I'm okay with it. The next day I struggle. Yeah. And, and, and especially in your line of work, I'm sure like the PTS and I'm not, I'm probably speaking the obvious and again, no disrespect here, but the PTSD, because you're on that other side and you know, of treating patients and, and hopefully getting them to curative places where there is no more cancer, but now you're on the other side and now you're sitting in the chair receiving the chemotherapy. Like, I can't imagine what, what that's like. I have to say I'm blessed with just such amazing colleagues. And I think it takes a certain type of person to work in the oncology setting yeah. Um, when I first moved over from the bigger acute care hospital, I kind of had my backup and they were all quite happy that I came with a hematology background and knowledge and chemotherapy experience. And at first I thought, are they really that nice? <laughs> and then as I started working there, I'm like, oh, these staff really are genuine. They're yeah. the nicest people. And so I think you kind of have to look at it from that perspective. Um you're, you're going to attract a certain type of personality and people. And I'm just so blessed with amazing colleagues that 
just give so much day in and day out to their patients. Um, people have asked me in the past, like, isn't it depressing to work there? And, you know, for the most part, our patients are, it's an outpatient department, ambulatory care. So they're coming in, walking, talking. Um, and um, I've learned so much and been given so many gifts by patients, just listening to their journeys and being able to help them that it's, it's, it's not a depressing place to work. It, it's, it's actually a happy place to work. So with those kind of two factors, I think it kind of makes a difference. And um, obviously privacy was a big thing for me. I, there's a lot of patients that I've known for years that are still coming for treatment. And I've had the support of management to, you know, sort of cordon off an area with a closed curtain just to, to give me that extra privacy or to be treated on the weekend when perhaps it's less busy, things like that. So just the support that I've received from our department. Um, I guess I could have made the choice to go to a different cancer center for treatment, but probably Calgary, which is two and a half, three hours away was the next option. And um, I just felt, you know, being with my family and support was, was more important. And somehow I would figure out <laughs> that mental yeah. gymnastics. Um, but I can't say enough good things about my colleagues and how they've made me feel comfortable. And, you know, for me, I was worried about them. How did they feel about looking after me? Yeah. I was worried about their mental health as well, because I have to imagine it's super stressful to be caring for one of your colleagues as well. So there's a lot of things that we continue to work through and talk yeah. about talk and, and the staff have been supported by our psychosocial department as well. And been able to verbalize, you know, their thoughts, concerns, fears about me being treated and having someone so close to, to home, I guess, um, being one of the patients. So it's an ongoing process, but you know, yesterday I walked through the building without <laughs> hiding and deeping in and out. And so I'll take that as a win. I feel like every day I get a little bit stronger and um, I'm able just to draw in and, and really hang on to that great support that I've gotten from the physicians, the radiology department, the radiation department, the pain and symptom team. Like I just can't say enough great things. So it's phenomenal. So we're waiting on the scan results for yeah, Fornox. So yeah, I've had six cycles now. Six so. cycles. And how have you yeah. you've tolerated it pretty well? Or, I mean, you said something like you've had side effects, like you, you knew what to expect. For those Great. listeners at home that don't know Flafluorinox, it's the kitchen sink of chemotherapies. I mean, it's they they throw a lot at it. It's super aggressive and um, it's nasty stuff. But for some people, it works really, really well and does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, it's very intense. Um, I had to start with a 20% dose reduction. So um, it was a modified Flafluorinox just because I was decompensated. I had lost over 30 pounds. Um, wow. And the fact that I'd had the radiation, we started quite quickly within seven days of radiation. Um, I did really well on cycle one and two, had minimal side effects. One of the drugs is called oxaloplatin and it yeah. can um, cause very strange uh, nerve changes um, as well as cold sensitivities or neuropathies. And so the first cycle, my cold sensitivities were quite long. They lasted 18 days after actually um, so I go to open the fridge and you get a little zap. It feels like a little, 
uh, reminders. So I had gloves all over the house. Apparently we have a lot of metal handles. <laughs> so I basically bad. wore gloves for two weeks uh, just to mitigate those. It's not uncomfortable. It's just more annoying. Um, I did ironically have some numbness to my face and it was still cold in February here in Canada. So I had to wear a scarf across um, when I went outside, even though I had a mask, my face would go numb. And it was a, a scary feeling. I was told that it was not permanent and that it would go away. But I definitely did not like that the first cycle. Luckily, as I've gone on, that has really lessened um, in terms of the side effects. On the second cycle during the infusion, I did get major leg cramping. Um, so I was unable to walk for about 30 minutes. Um, we slowed the drug down and it, and it eased off those the muscle cramping. So that can be something that sometimes patients experience. And at that point, instead of running it over two hours, we infused it over four hours and that really helped help the symptoms. So um, for the most part, I did pretty good on cycle one and two. The third cycle, I had issues with um, dehydration and diarrhea. Um, there's nothing taboo. I'm kind of an open book. So to further complicate things, um, I had issues with motility in my bowel. And unfortunately, everything sort of stopped. And we weren't sure if it was because of the high pain medication that I was on. Mm -hmm. um, I also required a celiac plexus block, which is basically the um, GI doctor. He put me to sleep, put a scope down and put numbing agent because it was pressing on the nerves. So that was another complicated piece of my pain. And so I wasn't sure if the block had slowed everything down. I've since learned that it should actually help with your bowel motility. Um, so likely my issues were related to high doses of pain medication that had slowed everything. So going from requiring to do enemas almost every second day myself, and because I'm a nurse, I could do it. Um, for anyone else, that would have been probably really challenging and they would have needed home care, a nurse to help them with that. Yeah. Um, I then, the second chemo drug, Irinotecan, can sometimes cause diarrhea. So on the third cycle, that issue started. So, so you get the I, best of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. Exactly. Yeah. So I needed to go in for hydration for five days just to, I was able to stay at a hospital and just come in oh. and out. Um, but I was quite dehydrated. So after the third cycle, we had to lower the dose again to 65%, which also is a mind gymnastics. Um, I'm not going to lie. A lot of patients will talk about dose reductions and, you know, you're worried, is it going to work as effectively? Yeah. Is this going to still treat the disease? Um, so I had big concerns about, I didn't want to lower the dose, but I knew my physician said, Jenny, we have to outweigh the risk versus the benefit. And um, it's too dangerous if you're getting that dehydrated each cycle. Um, it's not safe. So, um, and my blood counts were starting to drop. And um, ideally, there's certain parameters in order to go on to the next mm -hmm. cycle of chemo. Mm -hmm. So he was concerned that I was going to be delayed. Um, also, if we didn't do that second dose reduction. So, um, and he was right. I've been able to stay on track that way. My blood counts have been a lot better. Um, I haven't had the stomach issues like I did. Um, I've had a little bit of cramping and just this last round, unfortunately, the cramping came back. So if I'm going to stay on this protocol, depending on the scan results, I may have earned myself a six hour infusion, <laughs> which is less than ideal. So my chemo days are quite long. They're mm -hmm. eight to nine hours. And um, so this last one mentally was 
was was difficult. Um, ideally, the protocol is given every 14 days, but I was running about on a 17 day cycle. I just needed a couple extra days to recover. And this was the first time I did it at the 14 day mark. So um, fatigue is something that, you know, patients and I get, you know, I now having that perspective didn't truly appreciate chemo fatigue. It is something that you can't describe. Um, I was bedridden for a couple of days just on Sunday, Monday, and uh, literally just didn't didn't have the energy to be on my phone, didn't have the energy to respond to people. And it did take a while for me to, to get that back. So a big appreciation for that, as well as for um, something that was new to me in terms of anxiety around scans. Um, hmm. Patients will talk about scans, anxiety, and, yeah. and it's a real, it's the real deal. I really had to, throughout this whole process, I have been very diligent to try to remain positive. From the get-go, I said I was not going to be a statistic. It was unacceptable to me that these were, that we haven't had any advancements, changes in 40 years, um, that with chemotherapy, I was told basically my prognosis was 11 months. And, um, but looking at that, that's the average age is 70 or 75 with those statistics. Um, being told that I wasn't a surgical candidate didn't seem acceptable to me. Um, I still have a lot of questions for the surgeons that I need to ask. Um, you know, I feel like if this is stable, the T5, and I have good results elsewhere, why wouldn't they operate on a 46 year old? You know, so there's still things that I have to learn and that I'm going to continue to advocate for myself and push and potentially, you know, ask for second and third opinions. And it's quite interesting. Um, as I mentioned, I didn't know where my vlog would go. And I think without it, my mental health would suck, would be suffering a lot more. The amount of young people in the 35 to 50 year range that I've met um, is amazing. I've got about four, four counterparts in the UK that I speak with, three here in Edmonton um, at my own cancer center, and then five or six in the US as well as one in Eastern Canada. Um, just the support that we've been able to offer each other and the positivity is just amazing because when I look at all the statistics, when I do the re research, it's a lot of doom and gloom. And a lot of people say to me, like, I just feel, I felt so alone and still I, until I started speaking to you, Jenny, or I listened to your vlog and your first couple of videos really helped me to know what to expect when I first went to the cancer center. And so for that, I'm just so appreciative of the positivity, the amazing people that I've met, um, the fact that I've been able to help other people. It, it's been very difficult for me to, to not be a nurse. I'm super passionate about nursing. I love helping people. It almost felt like a forced retirement and that I wasn't ready for. And um, it was nurses week a couple of weeks ago. And ironically, all of a sudden I got a notice that my, I'm currently on short term disability um, benefits because I'm unable to work and mm. my long-term disability got approved to 65. So again, mental gymnastics that threw me for, for a loop uh, was very upsetting to me. I felt like I wasn't being told what was going on. I felt like it was forced retirement. 
I really had to work hard to flip my script and um, again, had to advocate for myself, get information, find out what was going on. Um, but just my vlog, I'm kind of nursing in a different way and being able to help educate people. It's been one of the positive lights throughout this journey. So um, yeah, not, not what I expected it to turn into, yeah, but I, well, I no one ever. I don't think anyone can ever predict something like this or, you know, want something like this. I, I just have to say a uh, couple of thoughts here. And I, I do have a question for you. I think uh pancreatic cancer messed with the wrong person this time around, because clearly uh, <laughs> you have a handle on this and this happens often in listening to your story here, as you, you, you spoke and, and thank you for sharing and, and for everything that you've, that you've gone through. I was taking notes. I have two pages of notes here and this happens often. So you talk about, you know, your background being in the space, you know, for a long time, over 16 years uh, as a hematology nurse and, and all the work you've done and the knowledge that you've gained, the people you've helped. Being a nurse is, is a special person. Um, there's special people that do that. It's like people that are selfless. I also, I often call it like selfless, right? You have that, that's part of your DNA is, is you wanting to help other people that need the assistance. And in that role, you, you, you see things. And I always say, you know, the system, the systems, it's like, you don't ask, you don't get right. And, and that's not necessarily the person doing that purposely. It's just the way the system works, but you know, the system, you know, the system better, excuse me, than anyone. And now you have to use the, that knowledge, the 20 plus years that you've been in this space to help you get through that. Not to say that, hey, everyone in this space, anyone who's in a nurse is going to get sick. But have you thought during this time, you know, that you've been going through treatment that and, and we haven't talked about faith and, and, and this is not a conversation, this is not a podcast on faith, but sometimes, you know, the higher being, whoever you believe in, you know, puts us through these experiences through life to prepare us for those challenges that come ahead somehow. And I often have heard stories here on this podcast, not necessarily similar to you, but people that have gone through like the struggle to prepare them mentally for fighting pancreatic cancer, having life experiences years in advance, not knowing, you know, losing a child, you know, um, or having something, um, we had a person, they had this tragic car accident. Like they, they had a really bad car accident. And if it wasn't for that accident, that that's what taught them self-advocacy, you know, mm -hmm. to realize like, Hey, I didn't feel right. You go to the doctor, you don't get any answer to keep advocating, to keep asking those questions. You were in this space, again, selfless, helping people get through those journeys. But that knowledge that you gained in, in your career is helping you get through this and helping you navigate the system. Have you ever thought like, not that this was not saying that this was meant to be, but you know, the work that you've done, the time and energy that you've put into it is helping you get through this time for you. For sure, for sure. And I, 
didn't really divulge, but I had in the last five years, I've had a, a bit of a rough go and um, was in a relationship that went toxic. And I ended up actually losing everything financially, my home, um, and really had to rebuild my life at the age of 40, which I never thought that I would ever be in that position. And so ironically, I was just coming out of that period. And um, in that time, I had joined a health and wellness business. And um, I can't now looking back realize not only was I helping myself health wise in terms of gut health, but just Mm -hmm. the personal development that I gained and the strength and the ability to feel comfortable talking on a Zoom call um, is tenfold. And so even, you know, not to mention my nursing experience, but that whole, the last five years, all the things that I've gone through have definitely set me up to be resilient and taught me a lot of things in terms of, you know, someone is gonna need to hear my story. And that was really important Um, to me in terms of my blog that, you know, I may help one person um, with what I've, what, what I've gone through and um, as well as to be an advocate, uh, like the advocacy piece also was something that I've learned throughout um, my health and wellness business. And so I think all of those things combined have certainly set me up like you said pancreatic cancer mess with the wrong girl so um i'm gonna continue to fight um i don't i definitely want to do more in terms of advocacy fundraising um we do have a run here in october that does Mm -hmm. um fundraising for pancreatic cancer but and you know, I'm so busy within my own treatments, but there is a piece of me that still wants to delve into that. And what can I do? What more can I do? We don't have a specific pancreatic cancer support group here in Edmonton. Is that something that I can help set up? Is that something that I can help navigate? Um, obviously I need to, priority is my treatments and uh, my physician appointments, but there's still, I have a large network, a large social network. and. So there's so much more of Jenny that is to come and that I want to do. I just haven't exactly figured out what that's going to look like yet. Well, I can't wait to watch it from afar. Um, it's pretty special. Jenny, I got a couple questions left here. And these last couple questions are, um, I always say loaded, uh, but there's no right or wrong to them. And I guess loaded in the sense that they're thought provoking. Yeah. Now, this first one if I had asked you maybe six months ago, it certainly would have been different. Um, but now as you're in the seat, you're, you're the pilot of this journey. Someone who is diagnosed, maybe they're listening to this podcast. They just got a diagnosis. Um, what's some of the best advice you would give them? And it's not necessarily one thing. It could be multiple things, um, a variety of things, but what would that be? Um, I think within, so from a chemotherapy perspective, the cancer, um, we have a chemotherapy teaching class. And so if your facility offers that, I think it's really important to attend that, have someone go with you. Um, just that informative, the more, you know, upfront, it's going to help you to mitigate your symptoms. 
Um, keeping a journal, aside, especially with side effects, um, just because it is quite tricky in terms of weight loss. Um, a lot of people can't tolerate like a regular solid diet, um, issues with nausea, with chemotherapy. So keeping a journal, keeping track, that's going to help you as well as your caregiver that's probably helping you with your care as well as your your chemo team or radiation team to better you know your outcome is going to be better less chance of ending up in hospital so that journal piece is really really important I know it does take a little bit of time and some people are hesitant to do it um, even myself I was like oh I don't want to have to write this down but it really did prove to be beneficial um I think asking questions, we have the telephone triage service, like I mentioned. So if, mm -hmm. if you are struggling with side effects, really important that you communicate with your team because nine times out of 10, there is something that we can probably do to help you. And, and again, to keep you out of hospital um, and prevent the severity of the side effects getting worse and worse, right? So um, the other piece is surrounding yourself with like a positive core team. And, and knowing sort of who your go-to people are. Um, keeping open lines of communication, I think, um, obviously we've talked about the mental gymnastics and staying positive. And it's okay to have days where, you know, Monday I was not doing well and was super anxious about my scan. And I had to communicate that. I think it takes more bravery to talk about it than to hold it in and, um, potentially you're going to get yourself into a worse scenario if you're bottling that all up. So whether that's having your caregiver, your spouse, um, attending counseling, we have a psychosocial department at our cancer center. So I knew right away, it was really important for me to have a psychologist that I could speak with, um, especially with the interesting unique dynamics of me being a nurse and a patient. Um, I knew that I really needed that third party just to bounce ideas off as well as give me perhaps a different perspective or way of looking at things that were really important. Um, the other piece I think it is because it can be very depressing, your whole world is turned upside down. Try to find joy, one little piece of joy within your day, whether or not that's sitting out and enjoying a cup of tea outside or um, for myself, I was blessed. I, my brother and sister-in-law, they had invited me to watch the birth of my twin nieces. So I got to witness that two weeks ago and it was just such an amazing experience and celebration of life. So that was a big joyful moment for me, but just really carving those out and, and, and really taking the time to um, absorb that is important and it's gonna make a big difference in, in your day. Uh, you know, whether that's small or big. Um, so those, those are probably my sort of five top key things for someone that's just starting out. I got to imagine you said something before as well, that you had 26 cousins, you have five siblings and you're the oldest. Mm -hmm. You're, you mentioned your career, like, you know, you've been in the space for a long time management. So this question just came up. I, can I assume that you're like a type A person? <laughs> That's probably safe to say that. <laughs> so, and you mentioned some great things in terms of advice. 
how in your situation, how do you let go? Because that's got to be really, really hard twofold because you know what you know because of your profession, but then also being that type A, like you've got to let go, right? Like, yeah. you, like there's some things that you just, we, we just can't, and I'm type A, just can't control. Like you just got to let go. So what strategies do you use when you get to that? Like the skin, I, I got to imagine like the not knowing has got to like, that's tough. For sure. And I think um, having that support system, my mom pointed out the other day, and again, this takes me back to my vlog, someone that I met whose mother recently passed away of pancreatic cancer in April. And she's just been super positive and supportive of me. And the other day she said, you know, I'd like to send you a care package, Jenny. And I got super emotional as I am right now. And my mom said, you have given and given, and now it's your time to receive back. So embrace it, let it happen. And um, so little moments like that are, are ways that I've been able to sort of just breathe and let go. Um, just accepting all the positive messages. Um, one of your lovely um, ambassadors, she did a five kilometer run for me. Um, which was super amazing. And we've been able to connect and maintain a relationship online and, um, you know, totally someone that I'd be friends with and continue to have a relationship with. Um, but without the vlog, I would never have met her. And she's just an amazing, amazing human that, you know, I, I can't wait to get to know her better and to continue our relationship. Um, so just little things like that. It, it's been hard for me to accept help. Um, I'm used to being very independent. Um, so, you know, I'm still currently, I'm not driving just because of the high pain medication that I'm on. And that's mm -hmm. been a big challenge for me. Um, and just having to learn to be okay with it. Um, as well as always kind of, you can see, I've been pushing my care along and there's days where I say, I just want to be a patient. I don't want to be the nurse anymore. And uh, I've had to verbalize that to my care team just to be like, I just want you to treat me as though I was anyone else walking in these doors. So it's been a learning curve and I'm still, I'm not perfect at it. <laughs> so it's hard to break that type A, but I'm learning and um, just accepting gifts that I've been given, given back has really been amazing and um, just a huge eye opener about in terms of all the good people that are out there. It's powerful stuff. Um, my last question here, and this is always, uh, I think the most thought provoking or the most loaded, I guess, how you wanted to define it. There's no right or wrong to this. Given your experience, what you've gone through, um, it, since February, when you learned of the diagnosis, how do you define pancreatic cancer? It's a tough one. I think for me, um, I'm not going to let it define me. I'm not going to let it control my life. I'm not going to let it determine what my prognosis is. I'm not going to let it completely dictate my day. I'm the one that's in control. 
and I need to take that that power back. It's an ongoing ongoing process. Like I said, I still have a lot of questions for the surgeons, a lot of unknowns. I'm still waiting on my genetic mutations um, to see if potentially there could be other treatments that down the road for clinical trials um, potentially could be effective or that may impact my particular mm -hmm. care. So um, we're kind of at a turning point that, you know, my treatment plan could could veer off in a different direction. So I'm sort of sitting in an unknown right now. And hopefully we'll get some more concrete answers in the coming days. It's a pretty powerful answer, Jenny. Um, and I, you know, been doing this for six and a half years. I, I, I don't know, um, you know, we've interviewed a doctor. I've had nurses on, um, but I don't think the, the one nurse, she wasn't an oncology nurse. So, it, you know, but along the same, you know, venue, you know, I think it's, it's tough when you know, and I've known, I knew a, a gastroenterologist who got pancreatic cancer and he knew, you know, he knew the reality, right? Like you're in that space, you know, you know too much, right? Um, so I, I can't understand, you know, I don't think anyone listening unless they're in that space can understand what we mean when I say that, or what I mean when I say that, that, you know, that that's, that's battling this disease is hard, but then knowing what you know already is even harder. And it takes a special kind of person to continue to, to battle and to fight and to know what you know, um, is pretty special. So thank you for sharing your journey with us. It's inspiring. Um, you know, the, the reason, as I said, when we started this podcast is, uh, and you said it, if there's one person that's listening on the other side that now becomes a bigger advocate because they're inspired by someone, you know, who's advocating so hard for themselves and pushing in a system that's a public healthcare system and you know how to navigate through there and ask the right questions and keep, keep pushing, keep pushing, um, then this is a home run, right? This is why we're doing what we're doing. With that, our last thing here, we want to share with our audience where they can connect with you and hopefully go and follow you and, and follow your vlog and follow along your journey. Where's the best place to do that? I think we mentioned Instagram. So is it Instagram is the best place to do that? It is. Yeah. And my handle is it's Jenny's pancreatic thrive path. And I'm totally open to people, you know, DMing me, sending me private messages um, I've just sort of done a chronological vlog, um, and informative vlog in terms of from the start in February up until real time. I had my CAT scan yesterday, so, um, you can kind of start at the beginning if you'd like, if you have any questions regarding chemotherapy, obviously that's my area of expertise. So I've had a lot of people reach out to me when they were just first starting in terms of side effects and wondering how I would manage those types of things. So I'm certainly open to helping and answering those questions. It's awesome. Jenny, thank you for sharing your journey with our audience. And thank you for providing inspiration for so many out there and how you're battling this thing called pancreatic cancer. And as you said, it's not going to define you. It's not who you are. It's just uh, this blip on this radar for you. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like this episode, feel free to share this episode. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow us on YouTube as we produce a lot of content on YouTube and put up our podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Till next time, please be safe. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Recording stopped.